your hands. Shout amen. Praise God. Well, before you sit down, turn and tell somebody the presence of the Lord is here. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's so good to see you this morning. You look good. Amen. I'm happy to be back. And, uh, of course, we love Pastors Jordan and Elizabeth so much. Appreciate this church. I'm thankful for churches that are standing for the power and presence of God in the midst of a generation that many have lost the fire of God. And as Bible prophecy uh, said would come, there would come a time where people had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. And I'm thankful that that's not this church. Amen. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that's on fire? Amen. And uh, where we're believing for God to move and see supernatural things take place, it's wonderful. The miracles of heaven are not relegated to the Old Testament or just the early church, first century. God's still moving today. I say God's still moving today. How many are believing for a miracle? Shout amen. God put something in my spirit that I've been standing on all year long, and I want to share it with you. It's going to build your faith to another level this morning. But before we do that, I want to just make a couple of announcements. I'm so excited about this. Um, many of you may not know my testimony, but uh, when I was younger, you know, I always wanted to be able to worship God on the piano and the keyboard and play, and uh, I never was trained as a, a child. I didn't have lessons. I didn't know anything about the piano or the keyboard. In fact, I started very late in life, not till I was about 17 years old. Most people start as a child. And uh, to this day, I've never actually had any formal training. I've never been to any classes or anything like that. But I was in a tent meeting with the late R.W. Shambach, who's now in heaven. And when I was a teenager, man, I'd just get up there and watch his band play, and they'd be jamming. I mean, they'd be, Holy Ghost was moving, and they'd have Pentecostal music, you know. And I'd just be up there on the front row dancing and shouting as they were going. And I got a little bit more, you know, got a little bit more boldness and courage. I went out from the front row, and I'd go over and stand on the side of the platform over where the musicians were, and I'd just watch them, and I'd be shouting and watching them play. And then I got more boldness. I came up the stairs on the side of the platform, and I'd be watching them up on the platform, you know. And finally, I got the, the peak level of boldness. I sat right down on the organ bench next to the organist. I just, wa I just watched him. His name was Willie Isaac from Los Angeles, lived next door to Snoop Dogg. And uh, <laughs> seriously, and uh, he was a Holy Ghost, Pentecostal, B3 Hammond organist. And I just watched his hands every night as he was playing. And Brother Shambach would come out on the platform, see me, and he'd laugh and shake his head. You know, here he is again with the musicians, you know. And I just had a hunger and a desire to learn how to worship God on the keyboard like that. And, um, and so uh, one night, Brother Shambach used to do 10-day tent meetings from Friday uh, all the way through to the uh, next Sunday. And they'd finish those Sunday tent meetings with what we called a children's blessing service. He'd have every child under the tent come through the prayer line. And he'd pray a ninefold blessing over every ch uh, every child in the in the tent, that they'd never be addicted to alcohol or drugs or tobacco. They'd never become uh, overtaken by a perverse spirit. I mean, he'd go right through the list and lay hands. Well, I, here I come through the prayer line as a, a young teenager, and uh, when I get to the top of the ramp, he stopped the line and he said, "God, 
Let, he said, laid hands on you. If that he desires so much, come upon him. And he laid, and let me tell you something. When Brother Shambach laid hands on you, it wasn't some little touch. He would haul back and bam, he'd hit you full force. I mean, I mean boom, I mean, he hit me. I, I mean, when he'd anoint you with oil, I remember we'd have anointing services. There wasn't no little draw across on your forehead with the oil. And he'd say, <laughs> this is what he'd say. He'd say, now tomorrow night we're going to have an anointing service. So ladies, leave your wigs at home. He'd say, he'd say, men, don't wear some suit. You don't want to get it dirty. He'd say, and he'd have his staff go out to the grocery store and buy about 80 to 100 bottles of oil. He'd take a Rubbermaid trash can and dump all those bottles until he had a trash can full of oil. And he'd stand on the platform and he'd have an usher holding that Rubbermaid and people come through. He didn't dip his finger in and anoint. He'd put his arm in the bucket and come out and boom. I mean, oil was flying, slinging everywhere. Oh, man. I tell you, growing up Pentecostal, I mean, I had acne before puberty just from getting anointed with oil so much just on my forehead. You know, I had just a cowlick that just went straight back just from having so many hands laid on me. And uh, that night, he, uh, he anointed me and laid hands on me, said, God, give him that gift that he desires so much. And uh, the power of God hit me in that service. And I think I was about 15 at the time. And I went home, and it was like God anointed my mind to learn. It's not that I sat down and just started playing, didn't know what I was playing. But it was as though the Lord gave me a spirit of wisdom and revelation that anything, as I studied to show myself approved, uh, it's like I never forgot those things that I retained. And uh, from that moment, I began to do it uh, as often as possible and started a, a youth group uh, praise and worship team in my youth group. And we just, every night, we were doing it uh, for the power of God and being faithful. And I can remember, you know, you start where you're at. You know, it's like you're faithful over little, he'll make you ruler over much. And when I started, I knew four songs. I mean, like, some of y'all are old enough to remember Ron Cannoli. Remember Ron Cannoli? I knew, like, two Ron Cannoli songs and two Clint Brown songs. That's all I knew. And uh, I remember our youth group held a tent meeting one time, and they asked me to do the praise and worship for the whole week. And uh, so I'd up there, but I only knew those four songs. So I just did them every night. Same four songs. And I had this, this old West Virginia hillbilly came up to me. You know, he had his overalls on. He came up to the altar before the service one night. He said, hey, buddy, come here. And I, I came over, and he went, you going to do them same four songs tonight? <laughs> I said, it's the only ones I know, brother. <laughs> and he said, all right. And, and that's, I just was faithful over little, but it began to expand. <laughs> and and I, I made a vow to God. I said, Lord, if you'll anoint me to worship you and to praise you, then this gift will be reserved for you. I said, you'll never find me in some coffee house somewhere trying to make extra money. I'll never, you'll never see me in a bar band. I said, you're not going to see me on tour with some secular artist playing on the road, you know, glorifying all kinds of stuff that's wicked. I said, this will be reserved for your presence, your anointing, your glory. And because I believe because I made that vow to God, he began to anoint me and we start, started to see miracles happening as we praised and as we worshiped. One night we were in my father's camp meeting in West Virginia and we were singing and praising God. 
Nobody was even uh, preaching yet. Nobody was even laying hands on anybody. But two men were in this side, this side section over here, and I was on the keyboard, and we were singing one of my favorite Pentecostal songs called Funeral Plans. This woman in eastern Kentucky, she's a Pentecostal woman, she wrote a song called Funeral Plans. And the, the words are, when I die, let me die speaking in tongues. Amen. And so we were singing and shouting. People were giving God praise. Well, a man came into the service that night that had been in a car accident, and it injured his spine, and it caused him to be crippled. He had his own crutches, could barely walk, even with the crutches. And he's sitting there. He's got the crutches up under his armpits and his hands raised, and he's just giving God glory and praise in the pew. But I watched him, and I could see the anointing come on him. And as we were praising God, I saw the power of God hit that man. He threw the crutches down and took off running around the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right when he got his miracle, the man behind him in the pew behind him had just had a surgery that went bad. And the doctors, the surgery that went bad left him blind in his right eye and deaf in his right ear on that side of his face. And when that man threw his crutches down, took off running, the man behind him started jumping and you could hear him shouting over the rest of the crowd singing, I can see, I can hear. And in one moment, not because anybody laid hands on anybody, not because we anointed with oil, but in the midst of the power of praise, God started touching his people because God inhabits the praises of his people. And I'll tell you what's so powerful is that we saw, I mean, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that when King Saul had an evil spirit trouble his mind, David would just begin to play on the harp. And the anointing that was just on his playing caused that evil spirit to go. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, we saw, I remember one time I went with my family. We were in Europe, and we were actually in uh, Venice, Italy. And we'd been out sightseeing all day. We came back to the hotel. Well, we didn't know they convert this whole side. It's like a ballroom, marble floors. They convert it to like a kind of like a high-end club at night. And uh, I looked in there, it looked like a James Bond movie. I mean, everybody's in tuxedos and evening gowns. And then I looked, and I was like sweaty and like shorts and a t-shirt being out all day. I look across, and I see there's a grand piano in that ballroom. I thought, you don't leave a grand piano open when there's a piano player around. And so I didn't care. It was like when we got back, it was like 1130 midnight. I went right through that ballroom. <laughs> and I mean, there's people at the bar trying to hook up and I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I go straight over to the grand piano, and I sat down. Thankfully, it was not locked. I opened it up, and I just started. I didn't sing anything, but I just started playing. I started playing worshipfully in the middle of this atmosphere. And I started playing hymns about the blood of Jesus. And I started playing at the cross, at the cross. What can wash away my sins? I started, oh, the blood of Jesus. And we went through all of them. And I'm just playing. And I see people, they're like looking at me. They don't know. I mean, they didn't know it was hymns, but they could feel something. I could tell people starting to get convicted at the bar. And, and I'm just continuing to play, not singing anything, just playing, playing. One by one, I saw them packing their stuff up and leaving the club. They were, they were headed out. I was playing them out of the club with the conviction of the Holy Ghost. By the time I'd been finished playing, somebody went to the concierge and said, how long do you pay this guy to stay here? They said, we don't even know who he is. We didn't know. And I'm just playing. And people are leaving one by one. And literally the conviction of the anointing drove every one of those people that were trying to do who and who knows what, whether they're trying to get drunk or trying to hook up with somebody that wasn't their wife or husband, and, it, and they went somewhere else. The only people that were remained, there was an older couple having dinner in there, like by the, the restaurant area. He turns around on the piano and goes, do you know fly me to the moon? I said, no, I don't know. 
No, don't know that one. <laughs> but there's an anointing on worship. And uh, so I thought to myself, you know, there's so many people that are in God's house that would love to engage in praise and worship. They'd love to play the piano, the keyboard. They've just never had anybody take them through and show them how they can easily get started worshiping God. I've had so many people stop me at uh, revivals just like this and say, hey, could you show me some things on the keyboard? Could you show me some things on the piano? And uh, I, I looked back, I couldn't believe it. I've been doing this now for 25 years playing the worship keyboard like that. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I just want to help the body of Christ to be able to step into that area where they're going to take everything I've learned in 25 years and compress it into a matter of hours to get started quickly. Whether you want to worship in your home, help the worship team at church, whatever it might be. And so we're going to put that together. And uh, if you'd like to be notified about that, here's what I want you to do. Go to miracleword.com. If you take your phone out, you can see, if you go to miracleword.com, you'll see a yellow bar right across your phone that said something new is coming, and if you want to find out about it, you can be the first to know. If you click that, there's just a place for you to put your email in. We will let you know when that is fully available for anybody that wants to be a part of it. We will let you know. So we would love to take you through and show you how to quickly be able to do uh, what, what you want to do, which so many people want to be able to worship and praise God, and maybe you have zero musical experience whatsoever, that's perfect. We'll start you right from the very beginning. I mean, we'll start right from this note is A, this note is B. I mean, literally, that's where we're starting. So if you have no experience, you feel like, oh, I couldn't learn that, you can absolutely learn it, and you can be worshiping God in your home. Amen. For those of you that maybe have a little bit of experience, it'll take you higher, take you to the next level, and it'll be a huge blessing. The second thing I want to tell you before we open up Joshua is that we've been seeing such great results with these Bible school students, and uh, we've put together an online course where we're teaching people how to go through the Word of God and properly study and interpret God's Word. We called it Bible Study Made Simple, and we're getting ready to reopen this course on October the 26th through November the 4th. We only open it twice a year. When we opened it last time, we have over 350 students sign up. It's only $15 a month, but you get four videos a month taking you through Bible study. We're, te we're teaching how to study books of the Bible, words in the Bible, characters in the Bible, doctrines of the Bible, making it simple so that you can understand how to properly and rightly divide the Word of God. And if you'd like to be a part of the course when it opens up again in October, uh, go to bible.miracleword.com. You can sign up, and we will. We already have like 160 students waiting to get into the course again when we open up in October. We would love to have you as well be a part of what we're doing. Many people are writing in saying, man, I've never heard some of this stuff taught, and I've been in church 20, 30 years. Nobody's ever taught me some of this stuff. And we have a community of people where we can come in together, ask questions. You can talk to other students that are in the course, and we do live streams to take questions live and answer questions. It'll be a help to you, and I know it'll bless you. Can you shout amen? amen. So if you want to get started with that, you can go to bible.miracleword.com and sign up. We'll let you know uh, as soon as uh, the course opens again. Joshua chapter 3, the Lord dealt with me about this this year. It's been our word for the year, and we have not taken our faith off of it. And I want to encourage you with this today because there's something going on, as you can tell, around this world. There's something going on, not just in America, around the world. 
And as we can see, Jesus is getting ready to come back again very soon. There is an antichrist spirit and agenda that is trying to manipulate and control in this generation. I mean, do you honestly think that we're running out of oil or the world's running out of oil? Do you really think we're running out of beef? Do you really think we're running out of resources? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's so funny to me. I mentioned it this week. They tried to push all of us to get on electric cars, and California all jumped on board, you know, get into an electric car. Now they're telling them in California, just don't charge it. So it's like, what was the point of me getting on an electric vehicle? Now the government's asking me not to charge it at home. It's all manipulation and control. They want to have control over the population. Let me tell you, that's not conspiracy theory. That's called Bible prophecy. There's a man coming, according to Scripture, that will be referred to as the Antichrist. And the Bible declares that there will come a time where he has control over the nations of the world. You can be sure that if there's an antichrist spirit in operation, the desire is to control and manipulate. No question about it. You see it through the whole Bible, Old Testament and New. And so this man who will be the culmination of this spirit, what does the Bible say in Revelation? There will come a time that he'll have such control that nobody will even be able to buy or sell without the mark that he places upon their right hand or their forehead. That's not conspiracy theory. That's Bible prophecy. People say, well, I don't know how that could ever happen. It could happen right now. We have the technology in place right now for that to take place. Do you know that there's already people in Sweden and other uh, nations there, like Finland, they're already taking microchips in their hands so they can get into their office parks and their office buildings to go to work. It unlocks the doors. It gives them access into the building. That's already happening. That's not going to happen. I mean, you, you know as well as I do, if you have an Apple Watch, you can go pay for your Starbucks. You can pay at the grocery store. You can pay at the mall just by using your watch. What's to stop them from just taking that chip out of there, putting it in your hand or your forehead? And you see all this push towards, well, there's people stealing identities, and there's people hacking accounts, and, and, and we need to know. I guarantee you when this technology comes out that it will not be something that looks like it's dangerous. It'll be something that looks like it's convenient. And they'll say, you know, you don't have to, what if you forgot your wallet at home or you forgot your passport or driver's license? We've now been able, I'm sure that somebody like Apple or Google will stand up at a keynote event and say, we've got such a great product for you today. We're calling it the Apple chip or the Apple, you know, who knows? And, and say, we can put it right in your hand. Go down to the nearest Apple store and we'll put it right in your hand. And you've got all your payment information and your medical information. And well, Canada's pushing for this right now. Right now they're pushing for this. In fact, they, they released a statement. They said Canada has never been in a better position to get off of a cash system and onto a fully digital system as they are right now. And they're pushing for one type of identification that will have your passport, your driver's license, your medical information, your banking information right now. These things are not far out into the future. I mean, Jesus could come back today and the technology's in place for this to all go down immediately. And so you start to realize the closer we get to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we recognize that that Antichrist spirit is rising up and trying to take control of this world. You know, there's a perversion inside the Antichrist spirit. There's a perversion in that. 
don't know if you've been seeing this, but there's denominations of quote-unquote Christian churches that are now hanging LGBTQIA flags outside their churches on the front porch, and they're ordaining homosexual uh, preachers, and I, I mean all kinds of stuff. It's gone to a place of open rebellion towards the Word of God. That's an anti-Christ spirit. That's an anti-God position. And it's not, see, here's what people can never separate in their mind. It's not that we hate anybody. We don't hate anybody. We love everybody. I've not ever met one homosexual that I did not love. I've never met one lesbian that I did not love. None of that. But understand this. You can love somebody without loving the wickedness that's in their life. That's something they will tell you is not true in this generation. Well, you, what you're really doing is you, you, don't, you can't say you love them because that's their identity. That's not who they are. Your identity is not who you have sex with. Thanks for the shouts. Your identity is not what flag you had outside your door. Your identity is not, no, that's not what your identity is. Think of it this way. What if there was a mother who had a child, a son, and when he grew up, he became a mass murderer. He became a serial killer. And they finally capture him, charge him, put him in prison in a state where there's a death penalty. And on the day where he might be getting lethal injection, she sits in that place where her son is getting ready to be executed. And she sits there and tears run down her face. And others in that theater look at her and say, how in the world can she cry as they're killing this monster? She should be rejoicing. No, no, that's her child. And she doesn't agree with what he did. And she doesn't agree with the murders and the wickedness. She, did, she didn't raise him to be that way. She doesn't agree with that, but that's her baby. And she's crying because she loves the person, but she doesn't love what he did. And you can separate what someone does from who they are as an individual. And just because there are people that are dead in trespasses and in sins, they're on their way to hell. They're going to do wicked things. They're going to do things that are displeasing to God. They can't help it. That's what you do. If you're a sinner, you sin. You can't get mad at a sinner for sinning. No more than you can get mad at a horse for being a horse. Quit being a horse. <laughs> yeah. You heard about the horse that walked into the bar and the bartender said, why the long face? You can't get mad at a horse for being a horse. Can't get mad at your dog for barking. That's what dogs do. They bark. That's, who, that's what they are. So you can't get mad at a sinner for sinning. They have no capacity to produce holy actions. They have no capacity to stand in righteousness. They're unrighteous. They're dead in trespasses and in sins. And the sad thing is in America that we have created churches for 40 years that are seeker sensitive so that nobody will be uncomfortable in church and nobody will ever feel awkward in church. And what we've done is that we've created doctrines and preaching that has no conviction tied to it, no anointing tied to it. You could live in sin and trespasses and sit in those churches for 30 years and never feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost to change. You could literally just be self-help message after self-help message. Seven keys to better work relationships. And that's not what I need to hear when I come to church. I need to be stirred up by the Word of God. I need to be convicted. If there's something that needs to change, I need to change it. I need to know what God requires of me 
to access his blessing. And we've made churches more about what kind of coffee we serve in the lobby or what kind of light show we have on the platform or how great the networking is. Come to our church. We've got wonderful blueberry muffins. In the, I mean, that's what people are advertising on their websites. Come to our church. We'll get you out in just an hour and 15 minutes. Some of y'all haven't been saved your whole life. Some of y'all have actually, you came from somewhere, you've got a testimony. And you'll know very clearly that if somebody, when you were still in the world, if somebody was asking you to come to a party and hang out, if, if they said to you, now you don't have to stay long, we'll get you out of there in an hour and 15 minutes. I ain't even getting dressed to come to that. Some of y'all were the last ones on the table at 6 a.m. dancing back before you got saved. I ain't coming to some 45-minute party. People go, we'll get you right out, back to, your, back to your football, back to your pot roast in an hour and 15 minutes. you got people coming in because we've curated that kind of an atmosphere, and they're more worried about how quick they can get out of church than coming in to get a touch from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the truth of the matter is this. If I need coffee, I can go to a cafe. If I need pastries, I can go to a bakery. If I want a light show, I can go to Disney World or Cirque du Soleil. If I need networking, I can meet up with somebody and do that outside the church. But when I need a touch from God, when I need a miracle in my life, there's only one place I can come, and it's the altar of the Almighty God. Somebody shout amen. amen. We need the anointing back in our churches again. We can't go through this generation. We got kids leaving church, going to secular university, and a professor talk about the Bible in two lectures because we've not prepared them for what's going on in the world. That's why we need the fire of the Holy Ghost. I have no desire. See, you know, it's, it's crazy. We want people to come in that are dead in trespasses and sins and be able to sit through the service and not feel any comfort, uh, you know, not feel any convic conviction or they would be, I just want them to be comfortable, brother. We just want them to be able to come. If, you know, you get this kind of verbiage in churches now. You know, if you're comfortable with it, lift your hands. You know, if you're comfortable, just sing it out. So I don't care if you're comfortable or not, lift your hands. Because the Bible says lift your hands. <laughs> I don't care if you're comfortable or not, sing the song because the Bible says sing unto the Lord. We do it because the Bible says it. It's not about whether we're comfortable with it or not. You know, if you're comfortable with it, just live a holy lifestyle. You know, I don't live because I'm comfortable with it. I live holy because the Bible said live holy. Thanks for all the shouts. Amen. And so, you know, we get this verbiage. If you're comfortable, just stretch out your hand. Who cares if they're comfortable or not? We do what the Bible says. It's not about comfort. I said it's not about comfort. And so now we're curating things in the church to bring comfort to those that are sitting there that are not really serving the Lord. And as a result, what we have raised up over the last 40 years is camouflage Christians. That, and, and let me tell you, when you have a camouflage Christianity, you go out into the world and you're trying to duck the persecution or people's thoughts about what Christians are. You don't want to be lumped in with everybody. And there's people who won't even pray over their meals at a, a, a restaurant anymore. Because they want people to think, we're, I don't want them to think I'm some kind of a religious fanatic. There's people that drop their napkin on the floor just to pray over the meals. Like, oh, Father, bless it in Jesus' name, amen. Make sure nobody saw that. 
God's looking for some people that are unashamed, that are full of boldness, that are full of his presence, full of his power, that will not back off of the word of God. I don't care if people hate on me because I don't fall into the politically correct agenda or system. I didn't come to be politically correct. I came to be scripturally correct. And if God's happy with me, I don't care who's unhappy with me. I don't care who mocks me. I don't care who tries to stand against me because I read what the apostle Paul said. If God be for you, tell me who can be against you. They might protest. They might push back. But I got the Holy Ghost on my side and I cannot fail. Somebody shout amen. Amen. (laughs) As you can tell, I get a little excited about it. No, I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. Not ashamed that I speak in tongues. Not ashamed that I dance. You know, they wanted to make us feel like we're nut jobs because we believe in the Holy Ghost. Why can't they be more normal? Have you ever seen what normal looks like? You ever looked out in this generation, see what normal is? You got girls in high school wearing cat ears and tails calling themselves furries. That ain't going to be my kids in Jesus' name. My kids are not cats. They're kids. I'm a furry. You got people having vampire teeth implanted into their mouth. I'm a vampire. (laughs) Watching too many movies. Vampire, brother. I I used to be a vampire, but I've I've been attending Vampires Anonymous. I'm just believing. (laughs) Just believing to be free. Nobody ever is truly free of vampirism, but I have, I, have, I have a big brother that stays with me, and he keeps me accountable. I just like to stand high. My, my name is Vladimir. I, uh, hi, Vladimir. I'd like to just say I've been, not sucked any blood for six months. And, Yay, Vladimir. This generation's gone nuts. I said they've gone nuts. You got people running around, and people want to put you in jail because you didn't use their pronoun. Let me tell you something. They've t- How many are you going to develop? There's so many now genders that this antichrist system has invented that how could I even be sure what to call you? I don't even know how many there are. And you keep inventing new words that I don't even know what they mean, and you want to put me in jail because I can't figure out what kind of zimzi zerza that you want me to call you. I-, I can't understand even how to abide by what you want because there's a confusion in our generation. People are confused because when you get into the spirit of this world, when you get into an antichrist spirit, there's a delusion that's pulled over your mind. There's a deception that's pulled over your mind. But when you come into the kingdom of God, the veil is ripped off your eyes and there's truth that comes into your spirit and you've got clarity by the power of God. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And Jesus is coming soon, and you can tell. I said, you can tell. So how can you tell? Because Jesus prophesied a couple things. He said, before I return, the earth will be like two other ages that existed before. He said, number one, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. So what does that mean? Go back and look at the days of Noah in Genesis. And the Bible says, God looked down from heaven through the earth, and the Bible says all he saw was corruption and violence. Corruption and violence. 
That's what you see today. Everywhere you look, violence and corruption. Corruption has reached every area or arena in our culture, including the church. I said including the church. you got major denominations falling to nothing today. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. The ones that people thought would never come down. you got popular ones that everybody thought was the end-all, be-all of Christianity, had all their worship music on in the car, and you find out that behind the scenes, it's just full of corruption and perversion, and before it all comes out, people realize, what happened? It's that we're living in a time where people are not staying free from sin, and as a result, they're falling into a place where their hearts are growing cold, and they're falling away from the faith. And the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. And there's worldwide known denominations that are falling to nothing. I don't know if you saw it, but the Southern Baptist Convention is in a mess. I said they're in a mess. It's all come out. They're being investigated by the FBI that they've had all kinds of uh, preachers in the SBC that have been, they've been covering up abuse and sexual abuse and affairs and move, just like the Catholic Church, moving these people around the country to protect their, uh, you know, their identity. It's all coming out now because the Bible declares, be sure your sins will find you out. It's crumbling to nothing. And what I'm telling you is, that's just a sign of the times we're living in. Jesus said, before I return, there will be corruption and violence everywhere you look. We live in an ultra-violent society that enjoys not just engaging in violence, but watching violence all the time. We enjoy it. There's kids on TikTok that are getting, I mean, like tons of views. I watched a kid the other day. It just came up on my feet out of nowhere because the algorithm will even push this stuff on you. Comes right up on my feet. And here's this kid. And he's standing around these other kids on skateboards. And he comes up to his phone like it's a secret and puts on a pair of brass knuckles and smiles into the camera. And there's a kid with his back to him talking to his friends. And he just comes around his shoulder and crushes him right in the face, knocks him out cold. He's shaking on the ground. And that's what we're promoting to young people because we live in a generation that is in completely uh, uh, hungry for violence and corruption. That's a sign of the times we're living in. I said that's a sign of the times we're living in. And the Bible says, Jesus said, not only that, it'll be like it was in the days of Lot. Say, what was it like in the days of Lot? Extreme perversion. Everywhere you look, extreme perversion. I used to not, I used to kind of watch myself talking about this stuff with kids in the room until I found that the average child now that's being exposed to pornography is between six years and seven years old. And that they're coming against our, our generation like never before, trying to bring that into our homes, bring that into our families. They're teaching kindergartners what to do in these schools in Europe and in the United States and Canada and trying to bring these things into our own homes. Do you realize they were trying to get things passed in America where your child could make medical decisions for themselves at school without ever having to notify you at home. People don't know that stuff, but it's going on right now. They were trying to pass a bill so that they could just do. The nurse at school could talk to your six-year-old, seven-year-old, say, do you want to be jabbed? Do you want to have this shot? Do you want to have this medication? We don't even have to check with your parents. If you say that's what you want, we'll give it to you right here at school. It's because they're trying to destroy the home. They're trying to destroy the family. Do you know why the devil hates families? It's because God instituted the family. You know why God, the devil hates fathers? It's because God 
God, who is the eternal Father, he anointed fathers in the homes to raise their families up in strength and in power so that they could guide their homes in holiness and in righteousness. Why God hates fathers, or why the devil hates fathers, why the devil hates families, God instituted it to build up the home, to strengthen the home, to make the children come up in success and in righteousness and in holiness. If you'll train them up in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. We're going to declare it. Our kids are not going to fall into the spirit of this world. Our grandkids are not going to fall into the spirit of this world. They're going to be blessed. They will speak in tongues at the earliest possible age. They will live righteous and holy lifestyles. They'll be free from sin. They'll be free from perversion. They'll not target of self hung over somewhere. They'll not find themselves high somewhere. They'll not be the, the target of violence and mugged and beaten and stuffed in a dumpster somewhere. You'll not have to identify your kids at the morgue. You'll not find them at the scene of the crash because the power of God We'll watch over your family. Somebody shout amen. I'm telling you, I'm on fire about this because the devil's pushing, pushing, trying to take our families out. And I'm drawing a line in the sand and declaring, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Know who the devil thinks he's talking to. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Cracks me up. People, Well, my kids just won't go to church. How old are they? 13. What? You still pay their bills? They sleeping in your house? You buying the groceries? You paying the mortgage? You paying the gas? You paying for their cell phone? They will get their behinds up, put their clothes on, and go to church. (laughs) That'd be a cold day in hell with the devil sucking popsicles before my kids tell me I ain't going to church. Oh, no, my friend, you will get up and you will put your church clothes on and you'll put a nice-looking face on and we will go to church. Amen. I just don't know about disciplining children in this day and age. I just don't know about spanking. I think it's violent. Well, the Bible calls for it. You better believe I'll listen to the Word of God over a child psychologist any day of the week. Because you know what? I've seen your kids, child psychologists. I can't even imagine growing up and my father telling me, I'm going to put you in time out. I can't imagine my father ever looking at me and saying the words time out. Now, I shouted time out during spankings a few times. Time out! (laughs) I can remember one time I thought I was feeling myself. I was getting big. I was in high school. And I was coming up from the basement. And I heard my mom say something about taking the trash out, and I was feeling myself. I was big. I was playing basketball. I said, I ain't doing that. Oh, I heard the chair push back from the table, and it wasn't a mother's chair that pushed back. It was a father's chair that pushed back. And when I got to the top of the stairs and rounded the corner, two mighty hands grabbed this shirt. I felt my feet leave the ground, but I knew it wasn't the rapture. And I saw fire in the man's eyes as he walked me across the kitchen, and I felt my back go against the cupboard. And he said, if you ever speak to my wife like that again, we will finish this discussion. I said, your wife? I thought she was my mom. What happened? Her identity changed in just a... And I could feel the authority as that warm liquid trickled down my leg. 
<laughs> so what's that? I don't know. <laughs> stuff again. I'm gonna put you in timeout. Oh. You go sit on the stairs, young man. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> Wait, my wife. So we see we were raised this way. Some of y'all were raised this way. And God help you. You know, there, there were days, let me tell you what's a real mental, this will get you going mentally, is when they used to send you outside to pick your own switch. That right there is a whole cycle, that's a whole nother story. And God help you if you live by a willow tree. Because those things ain't breaking. <laughs> you're sitting out there and you're looking, you're like, my God, if I pick that one, they'll send me right back out here again. That one will snap my spine in half. <laughs> and... And, you know, you, you grew up like that, but I can't, I can't remember. My wife and I grew up like that, and I can't even imagine today the stuff I'm seeing in our generation with these kids. I, we the, I mean, I see kids at the mall. They got kids on leashes. I'm not even joking. They got a kid in, in like a thing with a leash on it because you, can't, you don't have enough authority that you speak to your child and they do what you ask them to do. It's like, ah, 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 and they're running around, they're pulling you around like it's a St. Bernard. Never seen such a thing in my life because authorities left the home. Because society has told us that we can't be who we're called and created to be. And, that, and now what do we have? We have a generation that's rising up with a spirit of rebellion on the inside of them because the authority's not been there by the power of the Holy Ghost. My wife was in the store the other day, and there was a cute little girl in a tutu. She was in the ballerina outfit, and she was at the checkout. And I know kids, they, when they get to the checkout, they want stuff. They want to ask for stuff. I want candy. I want gum. I want to get me a Kinder Egg. And, you know, kids are, kids are you know, there's, there's, and there's this little girl. How old would she have been, you think? She was five years old in a tutu. And her mom kept trying to explain to her, I'm not buying you anything in the checkout today. We're checking out going home. And she kept on crying, I want, I got, I want that. And I'm not, a, and finally her mom leaned down and said, I am not buying. And this little girl hauled off and slapped her mother across the face. My wife went into tongues and intercession immediately just from post-traumatic stress disorder. Just hit her. Just went, oh my God, if I'd have been doing that when I was a kid, I would not be here to speak to you. Some of y'all know, if you'd have done that to your mother growing up, you'd not be sitting in this church service this morning. We'd be out just laying flowers on your tombstone somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but we have in this generation a lack of respect and a lack of authority, and that's what the devil wants. He is an individual that loves rebellion. It's what got him kicked out of heaven. He loves to have that kind of uh, usurping of authority that brings weakness, it brings destruction, and I'm telling you, when the Holy Ghost is allowed to reign in your life, when Christ is preeminent in your home, it brings authority back. It brings brings strength back. It brings the power of God back. And we've made up our minds. We're not going to look like the rest of this world. We're going to look like what Jesus said our families will look like in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, clap your hands today. Give Jesus praise. Hallelujah. We may not get to Joshua today because I really don't have any notes, but my God, I'm just telling you what's in my spirit. See, because we're not going to fall prey to what's going on in this world in these final moments of time. We refuse to. I don't care what's going on in this world. It's not coming into our house in Jesus' name. Let me tell you, I was studying this, and if you come back tonight, we have our anointing service for our families tonight, and I'm sure I'll get to it then in Joshua, but i got to give you what's in my spirit this morning. I was doing study on this, and we have a book on it called Blood on the Door. When I was studying to write that book, I was going through that first Passover in Egypt. And you know the story. God said, I'm going to send the final plague to Egypt. 
and I'm going to say the angel who will come through the nation and touch the homes and the firstborn will die. Not just the firstborn child, but even the livestock will die. And as he's going through, and you know, what's, he's, he gave them instructions. He said, I want you to sacrifice a spotless lamb and I want you to roast it and eat it all. And I want you to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your home. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and go somewhere else. When I was growing up, we used to sing that song in church. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, oh, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. That's just the story of, of the first uh, Passover. And the Bible says they did what God said and painted their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And when that supernatural being came through Egypt, I always find this interesting. God didn't have to relocate his children to protect them. They actually could stay right in the midst of calamity, right in the midst of danger. But even though they were in that neighborhood, what was going on in that neighborhood was not coming into their home in Jesus' name. People think, if I could just move to a better place, if I could just live in a better neighborhood, if I could just get closer to the city, then I, would, I know we'd have more opportunities. I know my kids would do better. But it's not about geography. It's about what you've got going on in your house. Do you have the power of God at work? If I could get to a better school, system. No, you can do what the Bible says you can do. And the power of God will protect your family and keep every wicked thing out of your house. And as I was studying that, I heard the Lord say in my spirit, he said, look at that story. He said, if the blood of a natural lamb could keep a supernatural being out of their homes, he said, how much more can the blood of an eternal lamb keep every wicked thing out of your house and off of your children and off your mind and off your body? You've got the blood of Jesus that is over your life and your house. And I came to encourage you on this Sunday morning. I don't care what the devil has planned to take you out. He cannot cross the blood barrier that Jesus gave you when you came into the body of Christ. You are blessed and you've got the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout amen. amen. Glory to God. I'm telling you, our family is going to look different than the rest of this world. We're not going to be like everybody else. We're not called to be like everybody else. We're separated unto God. Can you say amen? Your mind won't look the same. You know what's, what's normal in our generation? One out of every three people have to take an antidepressant just to get through the day. It's the number one prescribed medication in America now beyond heart medication. That's normal. That's normal. When I was in high school, I didn't know anybody that was on antidepressants. Now if you go to schools, there's tons of kids that come in like zombies. Why? Because this thing's coming against our families. It's coming against our minds. Because why? The devil doesn't want you to have joy and peace. You know why depression and anxiety are so prevalent? Because Paul outlined and identified what the kingdom of God's built on. He said in Romans chapter 14, he said the kingdom of God's not what you eat or drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Look at that. Two of those. If you think of that as a three-legged stool. You know, if you kick two legs out from a three-legged stool, you're falling down. And he said it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
So if the devil can come in and kick your peace out and kick your joy out, he wants you to collapse. He wants you to implode upon yourself, have your family go into turmoil. Why is he fighting to take people's joy? Why is he fighting to take people's peace? Because he knows the kingdom is built on those elements. And he does not want, he would love to fight against a weakened church. But the Bible declares the joy of the Lord is our strength. And God gave us joy, not just to laugh. God gave us joy to fill our bodies with strength, to fill our bodies with power so we can accomplish what God's called us to do. Somebody say amen. As we get ready to minister to you this morning, let me just say this. You will be supernaturally strengthened by the power of God. The devil will not be able to just come in and do whatever he wants to do. It's not your story. You're called to be different. Your house will be different. Say, really, but what, what's, what about what's going on through the school systems? What about what's going on in our generation? It has to pass over you in Jesus' name. It has to pass over you in Jesus' name. My kids are not going to suffer with chronic depression. They're not going to suffer with anxiety attacks. They're not going to suffer with suicidal thoughts. They're not going to suffer with addictions to prescription medication or drugs or alcohol, nicotine, pornography. Not in our house in Jesus' name. I said in Jesus' name. Lift your hands all over this church. I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost on this. In Jesus' name. My brother, would you help me? I mean, lift your hands and begin to thank God that your story will be different. Your story will be different. Different. Story will be different. You're not called to be like everybody else. Your story will be different. This, what's going on in these final moments of time, it's not going to affect us. I refuse to participate in the crises of this world. I refuse to participate in the drama that's going on throughout this generation. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. I mean it. Lift your hands and begin to thank God for what he's doing. This is not, we're not playing games. This is life or death. As Jesus comes back, we're fighting a war. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We're going to pull down strongholds in our own houses, families. Our lineage will not be like everybody else in Jesus' name. I want you to declare this by faith. The struggle is over. Say it again. The struggle is over. Not one more time should you go on social media and post, hashtag the struggle is real, brother. Struggle's not real for you. The struggle is over in Jesus' name. You're not called to struggle. Ha, ha, ha. You're not called to struggle. I said you're not called to struggle. You're not called to struggle. You're called to overcome. Called to overcome. Victory belongs to you. Paul said, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory, glory to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you stand on your feet all over this church? Just bow your head if you would. I mean, the presence of God is in this place. God's touching people right now. We refuse to receive what's going on in this generation. Call it normal. We're not normal people. We're supernatural people. Abnormal people. But I want you to hear me today with every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus is coming soon. People playing games with their future like they're gambling with eternity. Don't mess around 
and miss out on what God has for you. Don't allow sin to destroy your life. Don't allow the temptations and the wickedness of this generation to destroy your life. Hear me. This is a limited time offer. Jesus said in John chapter 9, we got, we got to work while it's still daytime because the night is coming where no man can work. That means the gospel's not going to be around forever. There's coming a day that Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, time runs out for the gospel. He's coming to take his people home. And I made up my mind. I don't care when he comes. If it's today, if it's next month, if it's next year, if it's 10 years from now, I'm going to be ready to see him when he comes. I'm going to be able to look him in the eye and call him Savior and Lord. Not going to look, I'm not going to look at God when I stand before him. See, everybody will stand before God. Listen to me. Everybody will stand before God. But when they stand before him, they're going to stand between before one of two personalities. He will either be your father when you stand before him or he'll be your judge. And there's a difference between the two because a father pronounces blessings, but a judge pronounces a sentence. I don't want a sentence from God. I want the blessings of God. You know what I want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So I want you to bow your heads today because if there's anybody in this church this morning and you're not ready to see Jesus. You know there are things in your life that are holding you back from God. Do not leave this church without knowing that your life is right before God. Don't let sin destroy your life. In fact, I'll say this. Get rid of sin before sin gets rid of you. Get rid of sin before sin gets rid of you. And you know it. Say, that's me, preacher. I know it. I, can, I know that things are not right in my life between me and God. I know that I need to have my sins forgiven. I need, I need to know that I'm ready for heaven. Well, then today's your day. Don't miss out on what God has planned for you. If you're here, you say, preacher, that is me. I need to pray that prayer this morning. I need to know that I'm ready for heaven and that nothing's going to hold me back from eternity with God. If that's you, lift your hand right where you're standing. Don't be ashamed of it. Yes, ma'am. Who else? Yes, sir. Who else? This is your day. Don't miss this moment. Hold it up, wave it at me. Let me see who you are. We're going to pray in just a moment. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. He's calling out to people today. Do not miss the call. I tell people, if the Lord's calling you, don't hit the red decline button on the call. Answer the call. Because he may not call again. He may not call again. The gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. If you're here today, you say, Preacher, that's me. I need to pray that prayer. Just lift your hand. We're going to pray it in just a moment. Don't be ashamed. Praise God. Whew. The two of you, you lifted your hand. I want you to come stand with me at God's altar. We're going to pray. Come on. If you lifted your hand, come on, buddy. And from this day forward, all things are being made new. Hallelujah. The Bible calls you a new creation that the old life is gone, that a new life has begun. When we pray this prayer, the Bible says when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Hallelujah. So I want every hand lifted all over this church. Take my hand. We're going to pray this. and All things are turning from this day. Father, we thank you. 
I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Say, thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die for me. And today, I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I confess Jesus is Lord. I believe you raised him from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for making me new. I'll never go back to the old way of living. In Jesus' mighty name, from this day forward, I will serve the Lord. Now lift every hand in this house and begin to thank God. I pray you fill her with the mighty power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, never going back. Bless her. In Jesus' wonderful name. I want to give this to you. Did I give you one of these yet? No. I want you to take that. It's my gift to you. Use this website right here. I put together free resources just for you. God will equip you, strengthen you, use you in Jesus' name. Let's lift our hands all over this house. And this second prayer is going to be for those that the enemy has been attacking your family. I don't preach like this and travel all over and gone from my house 275 days a year for no reason. I feel the urgency. My wife feels the urgency of what God is doing in this generation. We've dealt with it. We're standing with people right now that need breakthroughs and miracles in their personal family life. We refuse to let the devil harass our families. We refuse to let the devil harass our loved ones. We're taking a stand and declaring that from this day forward, things are quickly turning around in Jesus' name. Some of you here, you've been praying nonstop for your loved ones. You've been praying nonstop for your families. And I want to stand with you today and believe God that it's a day of breakthrough in Jesus' name. It's a day of breakthrough in Jesus' name. If you're here and you say, that's me, we need a miracle in our family. I need a miracle with my children, grandchildren, my loved ones. I want you to get out of your seat and come to this altar. And we're going to believe that today's the day of breakthrough. That you're going to get a quick testimony, a quick turnaround. We're going to believe that God's going to move on your behalf swiftly. That whatever the devil thought he could use... to destroy your loved ones, to destroy your family, that today it comes to an end in the mighty name of Jesus. Today it comes to an end in the mighty name of Jesus. I said today it comes to an end in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the power of heaven that's on our side. No weapon formed against us is going to prosper in Jesus' mighty name. I want you to lift your hands. They're going to worship in just a moment. Whew. Lift your hands. God's touching you right now. Hmm. It's going to turn quickly in Jesus' name. Every attack broken. Every burden lifted. Whew. Fresh fire of the Holy Ghost. I commanded to turn around quickly quickly in Jesus name what would bring heartbreak is going to bring rejoicing in Jesus name heaviness has to go breakthrough is coming and so Lord we call out right now every harassing force standing against the families today I command it to loose its grip and let go turn and flee in the name of Jesus Christ Fire of God come upon you. Fire of God. Woo! In the name of Jesus. 
We declare it. Now stretch out your faith all over this place. I'm getting ready to pray for every one of you. God's going to do the work. We're believing for quick turnarounds. Quick turnarounds in Jesus' mighty name. Brothers, if you would, just worship the Lord. Fire of God. Fire of God. Fullness of eternal promise. Stirring in your sons and daughters. Earth revealing heaven's wonders. Spirit come. Spirit come. What you spoke is now unfolding. All your children shall be holy. Dreams awaken in this moment. Spirit come. Spirit Let your love run over here and now. Let your glory fill this house. Pour it out. Let your love run over here and now. Let your glory fill this house. your presence and this power is within us and we will rise to be a witness spirit come spirit come pour it out let your love run house, pour it out, let your love run over, here and now, let your glory fill this house, tongues of fire, testifying of the sun, one is Spirit come, Spirit come, pull the fire. Prophesy like it is done, one desire. Spirit come, Spirit come, tongues of fire. Testifying of the sun, one desire. Spirit come, Spirit come, speak Lift it up. Prophesy like it is done. Desire. Yeah, yeah. Spirit come, spirit come. Every hand lifted high. Father, now we thank you ahead of time for what's getting ready to take place. We call it done. We thank you, Lord, that the testimonies are quickly coming back into our hands. We thank you that we're going to get messages. We're going to get voicemails. We're going to get texts letting us know things are turning around. Families are being reunited. We thank you. Children are returning. Grandchildren coming into the kingdom. Addictions being broken. Legal problems being resolved. We thank you, Lord, that from this day, we will see quick breakthroughs, quick turnarounds in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, clap your hands all over this house. 
give Jesus all the praise. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost on this. Now tonight, we're going to have what we're calling a a family anointing service. We're going to stand with your family. We're going to pray for you tonight. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're believing God. This will be the greatest finish to a year that you've ever seen. And that as we step in, if Jesus tarries to 2023, it will be by far the greatest year you've ever experienced in your life in productivity, souls being saved, every aspect of your Christian life is going to another level. Why? The Bible said in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18, that the path of the just is a shining light that shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. You're not called to diminish. You're not called to decrease. You're not called to move backwards. You're called to increase steadily until the return of Jesus Christ. Can you shout a loud amen? Called to increase steadily until Jesus returns. Let me share this with you before we, we're going to give an offering this morning. We're going to sow our seeds. Before we do, let me show you something that really convicted my heart in, in, in regards to my own giving, my own personal giving. And this is something that uh, I made up my mind as a principle. I'm always going to abide by this. If you have your Bible, it's in Haggai chapter 1. And um, this was a message from God to his people in the Old Testament. And it struck me so heavily. I said, Lord, this will always, I'll always abide by this principle. And this is what he said. In fact, the Lord was a little irritated with his people, a lot irritated. And starting in verse 3, listen to what he said to them. He said, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is a time, he said, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while the Lord's house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but nobody's warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Look at this. Verse 7, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I might be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain, and the new wine, the oil on the ground brings forth, O man and beast, and on all their labors. I was reading that, and then I started to read in Malachi 3, where the priests started to give God their leftovers, and God got mad again. He said, you're bringing me blind animals and lame animals and putting them on the altar. He said, go bring those to your governors and see if they accept your offerings. And so it convicted my heart, and I understood the principle that it's a God-first mentality. I understood the principle. I said, Lord, I hear what you're saying. It's a God-first mentality. I'm not going to spend everything on myself and my house and my kids and not have the best portion for God's house. So my wife and I chose now to live by a specific principle. Say, what's the principle? I said, I will never do more for myself than I've done for the Lord. So what does that look like practically? It looks like this. I can't ever imagine going out and buying myself something or buying my wife something if I've not done something more for the Lord first. 
For example, I can't imagine going out and buying my wife a piece of jewelry that costs $3,000 if I've never given God a $3,000 offering. You know what I'm saying when I do that? Her jewelry is more important than God's house. And I said, I will not do that. I refuse to put myself before the Lord. I can't imagine doing something, going out and buying some suit or some shoes, and I've never done that in an offering to the Lord. And I, I learned something by this, that if I put God first, He puts me first. <sighs> Say that with me. If I'll put God first, He puts me first. And I made my mind up, I'm going to do something big. And I think I got to share this testimony with you last time. It still gets me shouting. My, we were sitting at my dad's camp meeting. And we just finished, by the way, our fourth tent meeting of the year this year. The brand new tent went up for the first time. Seats 2,000 people. But we were in my dad's camp meeting in West Virginia, and he was telling the people that the old tent had become too small. And so he said, I'm going to sew this tent. There was another evangelist in the service. He said, I'm giving the tent. I'm giving the chairs, giving the platform to this new this evangelist that was there, Tony, Pastor Tony. He said, I'm going to give it to him. He said, but we're going to get a new tent. It's going to seat 2,000. And uh, something jumped in my spirit. And the Lord said, you buy it. You buy it. I said, what? I didn't even know how much it cost. He said, you buy it. That's when you know you're getting nervous about an offering. You don't know how much you're giving. You hear the Lord say, you get it. So I text my wife. I said, I feel we're supposed to buy it, the new tent, for dad. She said, well, okay. I mean, she's a woman of faith. So I text my brother-in-law, who's the crusade director for my father. I said, do you have an invoice on that new tent? How much is it going to cost? He said, yeah, I'll shoot you the PDF over to your phone. And the invoice came in for the tent. I saw it. It was a $30,000 tent, $35,000 tent. And I said, that, then you really feel it. My God. I said, maybe that wasn't the Holy Ghost. Lord, if that was truly you. He start putting a fleece out. Oh, Lord, if that really was you, let three people sneeze in the auditorium right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, and, and, and $35,000 on the invoice. I was like, my God. And I text her. She was with the kids up in the balcony. I said, I'm telling you, I feel the Lord's telling us to do that. It was a massive step of faith for us to do that. She said, if you feel it in your spirit, let's do it. I thank God for a woman of faith. Amen. It's like, if you do that in the offering, I won't be speaking to you for three months. But she, she said, let's do it. And I mean, we wrote that check out and we sewed, or she sewed it online to my dad's ministry. And I'm going to tell you what God did. This is so powerful. Because I, I go back to that principle Paul taught to the Corinthians. God gives seed to the sower. Whew. God gives seed to the sower. So we sewed that. I get back home to Florida. And when we get back, there's a check in our mail. And I look at, open it up. Somebody who knew nothing about what we did, I opened it up. There's a check sitting there for $35,000. That's not my harvest, my friend. That's God giving seed to the sower. And I'm telling you, when I said yes to the Lord in my spirit, you know what I found out? You can never beat God giving. You can never beat. This is why I'm so thankful for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because if we did it in our flesh, many times we'd miss what God was saying. I said, Lord, I want you to lead me. I want instructions from the Holy Ghost. What should I do for your kingdom? Here's why. God knows where he's going to take you next. And he knows what you'll need when you get there. And the overflow that's necessary, it is released by what you sow by faith. That's why anytime I take an offering, I don't. number one, I don't tell people what to give. And number two, I pray. And we pray together and say, Lord, speak to our hearts about what we should do into your kingdom. You know why? Everybody's at a different level. Everybody's at a different place. 
And so the same person, same two people could sow the same offering, but it wouldn't mean the same thing to them. Imagine if two people sat in the front row, they both gave $1,000, but one of them had a million dollars in the bank and the other one had 1,400 in the bank. It's not the same offering to God. It's not the same offering to God. It's all based on where you are and how much he's blessed you. And you have to be obedient. Amen. There's some that could sow a thousand easily. Others would have to knock over an Albertsons to sow a thousand dollars. And so, you know, run in with a mask and a gun. But let me just tell you, don't do that. Amen. Don't get your seeds that way. But <laughs> stick them up. This is for the church. Um, <laughs> but don't do that. But do what the Lord leads you to do. Amen. And when you're obedient to do what God calls you to do, the blessing comes. Somebody shout the blessings on the way. So would you bow your heads all over this house? Father, would you speak to every one of us? And we thank you, Lord, for the leading of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for that uh, system of seed time and harvest that will not stop. We thank you that as we sow by faith, harvests are quickly coming back. You're multiplying the seed sown, and now we're going to stand in the overflow. We thank you for that. We'll never be without. We will not lack. We will not decrease. I don't care what this world system is planning. We will not be manipulated or controlled. I don't care if you've got a 